0: Joshua and Naomi serve as Evangelical Free Church Reach Global Missionaries, and they are serving currently Latin America and the Caribbean, serving in leadership roles, helping to shepherd missionaries, encourage missionaries, coach missionaries, counsel missionaries who are serving throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. Currently, Josh is the team leader for Equip, Latin America and the Caribbean, which presently has ministries in Brazil, Costa Rica, Mexico, Panama, Peru, and the Dominican Republic. Naomi also serves on this team with a particular focus on women's ministry and on intentional gospel living for effective evangelism and discipleship. Joshua and Naomi previously served for over a decade in Mexico City, successfully planting a church there and leading the city team there. And uh, Jeff Stebbins and I, one of your elders and I, went and were able to be with them and be in their home in November of 2015. And we're just thrilled and delighted that they can be with us this morning. We love to partner with great missionaries. And let me tell you, these are great missionaries. So Joshua, please come and share God's word with us this morning. Welcome him, if you would, please.
1: Well, it's a pleasure to be here with all of you this morning. You guys have faithfully walked alongside us for the last, uh, I think, 16 years in missions, of our 20 years or so on the mission field. And strangely enough, we are here partly because yesterday my brother-in-law married a member of the Forbes family who is deeply rooted in your church body. So we kind of like married into one another, for better or for worse. Uh, <clears throat> in my new role, I'm especially focused on... Developing leaders throughout Latin America and the Caribbean. So this morning, I'd like to to talk a little bit less about missions and actually more about leadership, if that's okay with all of you. I'd like to start with a story about a not-so-great leader. In 1845, the great abolitionist Frederick Douglass wrote about the religious conversion of his former slave master. Over 150 years later, his words are still haunting. He writes this. In 1845, sorry, in 1832, my master attended a Methodist camp meeting, and there experienced religion. I indulged in a faint hope that his conversion would lead him to emancipate his slaves, and that if he did not do this, it would at any rate make him more kind and humane." I was disappointed in both these respects. It neither made him to be humane to his slaves, nor to emancipate them, to free them. If it had any effect on his character, it made him more cruel and hateful in all his ways. For I believe him to have been a much worse man after his conversion than before. Prior to his conversion, he relied upon his own depravity to shield and sustain him in his savage barbarity. But after his conversion, he found religious sanction and support for his slave-holding cruelty. Wow, right? What is worse than wicked cruelty? When wicked cruelty is engaged in the name of God, right? What's worse than people engaging in selfish, domineering, sinful behavior? It's when they do it, claiming the mantle of divine authority in their wickedness. So over the last few years, there there seems to have been a kind of epidemic of what is oftentimes popularly called spiritual abuse. We hear of accusations in progressive churches on the mission field, and even in our Bible-believing, evangelical churches. And it's surprisingly personal for me. My former ministry mentor, the former director of my mission organization, multiple former pastors of mine, and some of my key church-planting partners all have something in common, they have all been credibly accused of domineering leadership, of abusing their power in a way that cannot stand in continuity with the biblical demands and expectations for Christ-like leaders. It's not just these other people have the problem. There's something going on with us as well. Now, we could just point to these examples as high-profile exceptions to the norm, or blame this so-called spiritual abuse on a society that has embraced victimization. Or we could simply pin it on the cowardly musings of a bunch of overly sensitive millennials and other progressive snowflakes. (laughs) And we would not be entirely wrong, because we do live in an overly sensitive age, where we often take offense at the smallest perceived slight. However, the fact that some people falsely cry wolf does not mean that that there are not very real wolves lurking in the forest and possibly destroying the village next door and leaving behind masses of genuinely hurting victims. And those victims' lives do matter. The reality is that there have always been wolves in the forest. And even more concerning, there are wolves that take up residence in our own hearts. Abusive, domineering leadership is not a new problem. And it is not a problem limited to pastors or spiritual leaders. Whenever a parent or teacher or police officer or husband or politician or supervisor, or anyone else in a position of authority, when they use their authority to indulge their own selfish desires and preferences, or to insist on their own prideful need for control, they are engaging in abusive, domineering, unfaithful leadership. This morning, we're going to look at Ezekiel chapter 34. You can go ahead and turn there. And we're going to particularly focus on what it teaches us about faithful leadership. We're going to spend a lot of time looking at some bad leaders. And then secondly, we're going to look at some good leadership qualities. And then third, we're going to look at our need for the very best leader. But I don't want you sitting there this morning thinking primarily about somebody else. I want you to be thinking about yourself. All of us have been given spheres of responsibility and influence and a kind of leadership in our lives. As a mother or a father or a teacher or a supervisor or a student leader in your high school. And it is precisely in these areas that the Lord is calling each of us to serve as faithful leaders. So let me read the text starting in chapter 34 of Ezekiel, chapter 34, verses 1 through 5. It says this The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God. Ah, shepherds of Israel, you who have been feeding yourselves. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd, and they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. Let me pray. Father, may you speak through your word this morning that we might understand the glory of the gospel, of true leadership, and of our need for a Savior who will shepherd us in kindness and righteousness. In Jesus' name, amen. In this text, the the so-called shepherds that Ezekiel mentions are likely Israel's political and religious leaders. God had entrusted them to faithfully lead the nation, and they had utterly failed in their leadership. As a result, the capital of Jerusalem had just been destroyed. And the people of Israel have been left scattered and exposed and humiliated. Now, the people of Israel would bear the responsibility for their own sins in this. But in this text, God is holding their leaders, their leaders, uniquely responsible. Uniquely responsible. And in so doing, God, God powerfully reveals to us some key characteristics of a bad leader. So first of all, bad leaders are selfish and self-serving. They're selfish and self-serving. Let me read verses 1 through 3 again. It says, The word of the Lord came to me, son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding yourselves... Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. Bad leaders are are selfish and self-serving. They should be feeding the sheep. They should be taking care of those under their charge. But instead, they're just taking care of themselves. They take the fat of the milk and the wool, and the meat, the best of what the sheep have to offer. But they don't take care of the sheep. Simply put, bad leaders use their leadership for personal gain. For personal gain. We see this all the time in in our politicians, in our celebrity prosperity preachers as they get rich off the people that they lead, right? Like Israel's leaders in verses two through three, they use their authority to feed and clothe themselves. But it's usually not quite as crude as that in our circles. The personal gain that we usually seek in our homes and and workplaces and, and even churches often has more to do with gaining respect or comfort Or influence. As leaders, we like the place of honor. We treat our our wife or our kids or our employees as if they existed to serve us, to make our lives easier. Instead of recognizing that God has given us this stewardship in order to serve and build them up. And, And yet there's an even more sanctified way that we use our authority to selfishly seek our own. And that's by placing our good plans or even our ministry desires over the people that God has called us to lead. Instead of viewing our work team or our church body or our family unit as made up of people created in the image of God, we begin to view them as pawns that we move around to accomplish our purposes. Now, this is a a huge danger for people in full-time ministry like myself because I can sanctify my ministry plans in such a way that I can easily, in the name of God and gospel mission, run roughshod over the people that God has called me to serve. That's what seems to have happened to Mars Hill Church under the leadership of their previous pastor. He is an incredibly gifted man, a powerful preacher, who played a role in thousands of people being saved and hundreds of churches being planted. But his ministry vision seems to have become more important than the people that God had given him to shepherd The well being of the sheep taking second place to his own spiritual agenda. At the height of his power, he said it this way. These are his own words. There is a pile of dead bodies behind the Mars Hill bus. And by God's grace, it will be a mountain by the time we're done. You either get on the bus or you get run over by the bus. Those are the options. But the bus ain't going to stop. And then he went on to say this. He says, this will be the defining issue as to whether or not you succeed or fail. And ironically, he was right. Because just a few years later, he was kicked out of his own church planting network, which he had started, and then ultimately removed from his position as the pastor of his church, leading to the very painful dismantling of the entire Mars Hill Church network. Bad leadership is selfish and self-serving, even when pursued with apparently holy or spiritual purposes. We also see in verses 3 through 4, the bad leaders are passive and indifferent. They are passive and indifferent. It says in the second part of verse 3, says you do not feed the sheep the weak you have not strengthened the sick you have not healed the injured you have not bound up the strayed you have not brought back the lost you have not sought bad leaders either don't know or don't care enough about the actual needs of the people that they're leading And why not? Because what they really care about is themselves. And they're going to expend their energy and their time and their compassion on primarily themselves. Now, now shepherds are not normally the owners of the sheep. They are stewards. They're stewards. The owner of the sheep has entrusted them with the care and protection of the sheep. So to fail, to care for, and to protect the sheep is a fundamental abandonment of their duty, of their responsibility. And that sounds pretty bad, right? To abandon their post. And of course, we would never do anything like that, right? Never. I would never do that. They're the bad guys. Well, let me ask you married men. How many of you guys are married? Raise your hand. All right, a couple of you. God has entrusted you with the care and protection of your wife. Do you know the needs of your wife? Do you know where she is weak and discouraged? Maybe where she's hurting? Do you know what she needs to thrive in every sphere of life? Do you know what makes her feel loved? Have you asked her recently? Because you might want to do that. That'd be a good idea. Or how about those of us who are parents? How often do we come down really hard on a moody teenager, but we fail to do the hard work of drawing out whatever deep pain or confusion or crisis or even sin is underlying their moodiness? It's easier to either ignore a child or just spank a child than to truly shepherd a child. Fathers, mothers, God has given us real authority in our homes. But but authority to do what? Authority to care for God's sheep. That's why it's been entrusted to you. How how about those of you who are, are supervisors in your workplace? Maybe that employee who has suddenly become unproductive or testy is going through a family crisis that you never knew anything about, and maybe you didn't know about it because you hadn't done the hard work of caring for them as a person created in the image of God. Or pastors, maybe that new church member is not as responsive to my leadership as I would like because they've been so mistreated by leaders in the past that they've learned to be really cautious. Maybe it's going to take time and energy and compassion and forbearance in order for me to really know the needs of those people and for them to really believe that I want what's best for them, that they really matter to me. We simply can't feed hungry sheep and take care of the sick and injured and rescue them when they're lost without getting our hands dirty, without getting meaningfully involved. God wants something more from his leaders in Israel, and he wants something more from us too. And then we see at the end of verse 4 that, that bad leaders tend to be harsh and domineering. They tend to be harsh and domineering Look what it says at the end of verse 4. It says, And with force and harshness you have ruled them. What a powerful text. And with force and harshness you have ruled them. Simply put, bad leaders are bullies. Bad leaders are bullies. Harsh leaders do not lead or convince primarily through sound reasoning or patient, careful exegesis or through the power of their own faithful example. They instead try to lead through intimidation and fear, through threats and accusations. And this is where Christians are especially in danger of being like Frederick Douglass's slave master. Using their divinely delegated authority to sinfully impose their own selfish human demands on others. That's a dangerous thing. We see this when husbands piously claim divine authority in their home and cite Ephesians 5 by memory. But they use that authority to insist on their own selfish desires and preferences. That's not what that authority was given to you for. We see that when moms get furious and and yell at their kids because they're going to be late to church, right, real world. We see it when bosses humiliate their employees. And we see it when pastors do not distinguish between their personal opinions and the authoritative demands of the word of God as if they were the same thing. And spoiler alert, they're not the same thing. Bad leaders will try to convince us that they're just speaking the truth or saying what needs to be said. But Ezekiel 34.4 makes clear that harsh leadership is fundamentally unfaithful, unbiblical leadership. My tendency is to have a harsh edge. And that's not okay. Biblical leadership is something fundamentally different. The strange thing is that, is that too often, as evangelicals, we, we turn a blind eye to this kind of harsh, domineering leadership. At times, we even celebrate it, which is especially strange because it stands in direct opposition to the character and commands of our Lord and Savior. That's not the kind of leader our God is. So according to Ezekiel 34, bad leaders are selfish and self-serving. They're passive and indifferent, and they're harsh and domineering. And that kind of leadership has real-world consequences, serious consequences for the people who are being led. Look at verse 5. It says, So, so that... The result of this bad leadership is they were scattered. So they were scattered because there was no shepherd. And they became food for all the wild beasts. My sheep were scattered. According to verse 5, bad leaders leave their people exposed and unprotected. Israel's unfaithful leaders literally caused their people to be scattered throughout the land, captured by enemy nations, and quite possibly literally devoured by wild animals. And don't bad leaders do essentially the same thing today? Bad leaders hurt and humiliate their people, maybe even harden their people, and ultimately they push them away where they find themselves exposed and unprotected. When when abusive church leaders, or parents, or bosses, or husbands, when they bully and control and gaslight the people that God has placed under their authority, should it surprise us when some of them say, I've had enough, I'm out, and they walk away. I'm not justifying it, but I understand it having fled then from the sphere of of protection, the relationship and authority that God had given them to protect them, having fled from that because those leaders had failed to protect them, they now find themselves wandering, unprotected, and in serious danger of being consumed by the enemy. They weren't protected. They were hurt. They walk away, and now they're left exposed. In Ezekiel 34, verse 5, God takes a hard look at the unique responsibility and culpability of unfaithful leaders, the so-called shepherds of Israel. And he says, my sheep were scattered and became food. And why was that? Because there was no shepherd. Because no one did their job. Unfaithful leaders bear a unique kind of responsibility and culpability when they're selfish, indifferent, Domineering leadership results in their people falling away and being consumed by the enemy. For those of you who have suffered under bad leadership in whatever sphere of life, God wants you to know in Ezekiel chapter 34 that he will hold those unfaithful leaders accountable. You need to know that. God is not blind to your past suffering. But, and I say this with great compassion, you also need to know that God will also hold you responsible for your own actions as well. In Ezekiel 34, God says that the people were eaten by wild beasts because of their leader's sins. But a little earlier in Ezekiel 33, verse 27, he says that they will also be devoured for their own sins. And both things can be true. And that means you cannot simply blame your unfaithful parents or teachers or bosses or pastors for the immoral things that you have done with your own life. You too are created in the image of God. And that means that you are a responsible moral agent and that you too are responsible before God for your choices. The woe be to the one who provoked you to stumble along the way. Ezekiel 34 is warning about the danger of bad leadership. And when we see any of those characteristics in our own lives, we need to take it really seriously and turn from that sin. But Ezekiel 34 also gives us a glimpse of what it might mean to be a good leader. And we find these qualities of a good leader by simply taking the text and sort of flipping it upside down. Because good leaders are just the opposite of bad leaders. It's the exact opposite. If bad leaders are selfish and self-serving, then first of all, good leaders, good leaders selflessly serve those they lead. A good leader selflessly serves those that they lead. In verses 2 through 3, it makes clear that good leaders must feed the sheep instead of feeding themselves, placing the needs of their people above their own needs, esteeming others more highly than themselves. Good leaders view their role primarily as a servant, and not as a master. As parents or husbands or supervisors or elders or deacons, we are given authority to serve and build up others, not to be served and to build up ourselves. Good leaders selflessly serve. Secondly, we see that if bad leaders are passive and indifferent, then good leaders actively care. They actively care for those they lead. According to verses three through four, good leaders have to do the hard work of knowing the particular needs and hurts and situations of those under their care so that they can know how to best expend their time and energy to make sure that they are protected and built up, to be able to set them up for success, to protect them from harm and error, And to create an environment for human flourishing in every sphere of life. That's what a good leader does. Now, we have to be careful here so that we don't crush ourselves with an unbearable and unbiblical weight of responsibility. Let me make clear parents, you are not responsible to save your children. Only Jesus can do that. Husbands, you cannot stop your wives from ever sinning. That's the role of the Holy Spirit. And pastors, we cannot guarantee that every church member will make it to the finish line, no matter how much we pour into them. But as leaders, we can commit ourselves to actively and compassionately creating an environment where God is glorified and people can flourish. I think that is the responsibility of every leader, creating an environment where men and women can flourish in light of the goodness of God. Third, if unfaithful leaders are harsh and domineering, then good leaders gently guide their people and they gently guide their people as examples as examples according to verse 4 good leaders are not harsh and domineering good leaders show the way and they do it with gentleness they don't beat down and berate and threaten and humiliate instead they encourage and they love And they build up. Even during the hard times, even in the moments of needed correction, they speak the truth in love. Good leaders are not weak. They are meek. Power under control. Truth matched with grace. Shepherds who are also sheep. And that kind of good leadership blesses the people under our care by providing them an environment of security and protection. Good authority does not try to place people in a prison of our control, but instead provides a place of refuge, of security, and of peace. Our churches can be places like that. Our marriages can be like that. Our families can be like that. And perhaps even our workplaces and schools and neighborhoods can become more and more like that as we extend good leadership toward God's world for His glory. Maybe. Maybe. Isn't that exactly the kind of leadership that we are called to again and again as gospel people in the New Testament? Let me read a whole series of New Testament passages that help us unpack this kind of good, faithful leadership we've been discussing in Ezekiel 34. To husbands, God says in Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. To parents, God says in Ephesians 6.4, Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. To bosses and supervisors, God says in Ephesians 6, 9, Masters, stop your threatening, knowing that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven and that there is no partiality with him. To all of us, God calls us in Ephesians 4.2 to act with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. And then he reminds us in 1 Corinthians 13.5 that love does not insist on its own way. That's not what love does. And for those pastor elders Or for those who would like to be pastor, elders, and serve as shepherds over God's flock, the church, God tells us this in 1 Peter 5, verses 2 and 3. He says, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. Not domineering, but being examples. And then in the list of elder requirements found in Titus 1 and 1 Timothy 3 God commands such men to not be violent or domineering but instead gentle. That's what he says. The Holman Christian Translation actually translates the term violent as bully. <laughs> it says in Titus 1:7 that an overseer as God's administrator must be blameless, not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not addicted to wine, not a bully. <laughs> And then in 1 Timothy 3.3, it teaches us that he must not be a bully, but gentle. That's the contrast. Not a bully. Gentle. That's the kind of leadership that God calls us to. Now, I want to pause here and make something clear. Ezekiel 34 makes us aware of some of the bad leadership tendencies in our world and in ourselves. But We also must recognize and be thankful for the many faithful leaders and pastors and elders and deacons and moms and dads and bosses and coworkers that God has placed among us. Good leadership is a sweet gift. It should produce thanksgiving. It is a gift that ancient Israel did not get to enjoy like many of us do today. We should be deeply thankful for our good leaders. And at a personal level, I'm gonna be honest, pastors Lance and Rob, for the past 16 years, they're two of the more gracious leaders that I've ever met. I always know that they are for us. That is a sweet gift. So we've looked at bad leaders. We've explored the characteristics of good leaders, but but now we have a problem. And the problem is that we have all both suffered under bad leaders, and we've all at times been bad leaders, right? I mean, who here has been perfectly selfless, caring, and gentle in all things? It's easy to look down on bad leaders. It's easy to think of how others have failed you. Maybe your parents, or your husband, or your pastor, or your boss, or even your president. But I think what God wants for us today is that we take a good long look at ourselves, at our own failings. Because what we really need is not just to be saved from bad leaders, or to act more like good leaders. What we really need is to be rescued by and find our hope in the very best leader, who is Jesus Christ himself. And that's what we find in the rest of Ezekiel 34. It tells us that that God sees us broken and exposed, sinning and sinned against. And instead of abandoning us and saying, I'm out of here, he commits to taking the burden upon himself. In Ezekiel 34, God promises that he himself will rescue and care for his sheep, and he will do it primarily through Jesus, because Jesus is the very best leader. I can't read the the rest of the chapter for lack of time. You can do that at home, but let me read a few key passages. It says in verses 10 through 12, the following, Ezekiel 34, 10 through 12. Thus says the Lord God, behold, I am against the shepherds, and I will require my sheep at their hand, and put a stop to their feeding the sheep. No longer shall the shepherds feed themselves. I will rescue my sheep from their mouth, that they may not be food for them. For thus says the Lord God, behold, I, I myself, will search for my sheep, and will seek them out as a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered. So I will seek out my sheep and I will rescue them. And then he goes on in verse 16 to say, I will seek the lost. I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak and the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them. Injustice. As both an encouragement and a warning, Ezekiel says that God Himself will rescue and care for His sheep. He will oppose faithless shepherds, and He'll rescue His people from their hands. And according to verse 16, he will do exactly what the unfaithful shepherds fail to do in verses 1 through 5. He uses the exact same language. He will shepherd the sheep. He will seek the lost. He will bring back the strayed, bind up the injured, strengthen the weak, and feed them in justice. And he will do it primarily through Jesus. Who is the greatest leader of all time? The one we are all so deeply longing for, whether we realize it or not. Look what it says in verses 22 through 25. It says in verse 22 I will rescue my flock, they shall no longer be a prey, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set up over them one shepherd. My servant David, and he shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd. And I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will make with them a covenant of peace. God makes an amazing promise here, saying that he will ultimately rescue and care for his sheep through Jesus. Because Jesus is the son of David, the promised Messiah, the good shepherd, the very best shepherd. Now, now this text likely has some very specific applications for the nature of Israel and their future restoration. But the New Testament makes clear that their shepherd will also be our shepherd. And that shepherd is Jesus. To connect these words in Ezekiel 34 with our understanding of Jesus, listen to these words from the four Gospels. Listen to how it describes Jesus and how it echoes Ezekiel 34. Matthew 9, verse 36 says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. In John 10, verses 11 and 14, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. I know my own, and my own know me. In Luke 19, verse 10, Jesus says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. In Mark 10, Verses 42 through 45, Jesus calls his disciples and says, You know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. But it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be slave of all for even the son of man came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many and so jesus says in matthew 11 verse 29 learn from me for i am gentle and lowly in heart that is our shepherd jesus is the good shepherd the very best shepherd, the one who looks on his people with compassion, who intimately knows each and every one of them by name, who leaves behind the 99 to seek and to save that one lost sinner, who is the greatest of all because he is the greatest servant of all, who is willing to sacrifice his own life on the cross to pay the price for our sins, And who alone can now protect us from the power of death by defeating it through his own resurrection from the dead. This Jesus now stands as both our savior and our model, our redeemer and our example, if we will trust in him. As sinful men and women, we are more like the bad shepherds of Ezekiel 34 than each of us would like to admit. May we turn to Jesus in faith to save us from ourselves and from our sin. And may we follow the example of Jesus in his leadership in every sphere of life, as parents over our children, as supervisors in our workplaces, as husbands and wives and teachers and soccer coaches and student leaders and nursery workers and pastors. May we too be gentle and lowly, selfless, and kind, patient, and just. Willing to give over our very lives to seek and to save lost sinners. To feed the hungry, strengthen the weak, bind up the injured, bring back the strayed, and proclaim with boldness. Here in Colorado Springs and to the end of the earth, proclaim with boldness, the good news of the gospel of peace. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this gospel of peace which transforms every area of our lives. May you make us into better leaders and may we find our great hope in the greatest leader, in Jesus. Thank you for his gift to us. In Jesus' name, amen.